Dave and Ryan's movie review, take five, and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by Nobody. Here we are once again, just in time for another weekend of great movies. And Ryan, how you been? I'm doing really good. How are you doing? How was your week? It was not too bad. It, you know, it's it's always nice to get to this point in the week because that means that a day of rest is on the way. Yes, yes it, it is. It, it truly is. Uh, we're going to get into a lot today. We'll talk about that coming up. But first, we got to talk about Hollywood. Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard, a place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, so first up, following months of auditions uh, and in-person screen tests, Warner Brothers and DC have announced that they have found their new Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Uh, yeah, that's just that's just what the world needs. Another DC movie. Well, yeah, we're starting over. Oh, yeah. So so like what is this like starting over like for the 15th time? Fourth or fifth, I think, with Spider-Man, Superman. I, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I have to look that up. Anyway, can, I, can we get on to it now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, David Corn Sweat has been named your new Clark Kent slash. Did you know that Clark Kent is Superman? I don't know now. Uh, spoiler alert. That's true. <laughs> spoiler. Uh, he is relatively unknown. I, I kind of looked this guy up. He's been on a House of Cards. He was on uh, We Own This City. Uh, maybe some people saw him in the horror film from last year, Pearl. But he's about to blow up because he's got this movie coming up, and he's also going to be into the sequel uh, next year, Twisters. Uh, yeah, um, I honestly I can say I haven't watched anything he's been in. I have watched House of Cards. I don't remember which character he's in, so hopefully we're in for a refreshing surprise. The funny thing about him is when I first heard the name, I was like, "Oh, this has got to be a guy that's got like a ton of BBC stuff to his name." No. He doesn't. He doesn't. Born and bred American. And, of course, the lady people are going to know, Rachel Brosnahan, uh, she's been tapped to play Lois Lane. Now, uh, she's kind of more of a household name. I believe she's been nominated for, uh, I believe it was five Emmys in her career. I believe it was about that. And she even won one in 2018 for Amazon Prime's The Marvelous Ms. Maisel. So we'll have to wait now until... 2025 for this movie to be released. We still have, of course, Jimmy Olsen that needs to be cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the other big one, Lex Luthor, needs to be cast. There's been a lot of names thrown around for that. The The two names that popped out to my mind, which was really strange, is Alexander Skarsgård really? and Bill Skarsgård. And I threw both of those names out to my wife and my daughter, and I was like, you know, Alexander would be really good as Lex Luthor. And they both looked at me and go, no. Because Bill is really good because he can be evil and creepy <laughs> because he played Pennywise. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens with those ones. Uh, once again, that is set to be released in July of 2025, I believe. Um, let's take a look at the box office from last week. <laughs> and Ryan's been walking around with a smile on his face ever Loading since this like came a out. Uh, number five, Rise of the Beasts, Transformers. With eleven point eight million. Now remember, this is just the weekly total. Yep. Um, no hard feelings. The new Jennifer Lawrence movie, fifteen million. The Flash, third place with fifteen point one million. Barely, barely beat out Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. Uh, Elemental, which I we went and saw. I thought that was a really that, good. That flick. is a good movie. Uh, came up with an eighteen point four million dollar weekend, and uh, guess who took over number one again? Uh oh, Spidey. Spider-Man. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse came in with a $19 million weekend. So, you know what? This kind of goes back to what we talked about with with superhero fatigue. That movie's doing well. Yeah. 
So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, it is a superhero movie, but I would consider it more of a... Not necessarily an anime movie, but in that kind of genre. It's got that kind of feel to it. Well, so maybe it's just because it's something different. Yes. That's what we're going to go with. And, and then sad news, of course, I've been kind of following this story quietly because he was really one of my favorite actors. Uh, actor Julian Sands. He appeared in several Oscar-nominated films in the late 80s and 90s, including A Room with a View and Leaving Las Vegas. I know another one that people may know him from was Warlock. Yes, that scared me as a child. <laughs> and also Boxing Helena. Oh. He was in that one as well. Uh, his body was found by hikers uh, on Tuesday in the uh, Southern California mountain range five months after he disappeared. An investigation confirmed it was Sand's body who hikers found. Uh, he, had gone he had gone hiking in the mountains in California on January 13th, and then that was the last anybody had heard from him. That, that was right after, a little bit after his diagnostic, wasn't it? I, I believe so. So here's the deal with that one. Once again, uh, they found his body, and uh, they, they can confirm that he has been found. So Julian Sands, the actor, uh, dead. I believe he was 65 is what I yeah. believe. All right. Today, we've got a lot to get through today. Uh, we went and saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I love this movie. We're going to talk more about it coming up. And then since 4th of July weekend is upon us, we're going to revisit the movie Independence Day. A lot of great stuff happened in this movie. Oh, yeah. the, the more that I've been going back and looking at it, I'm kind of shocked that I forgot about some of it. And then we are going to revisit a segment for the first time this week, Too Many Sequels. Do we, do we want to say what we're going to talk about or we want to hold off on that? Let's hold off on kind that. Kind of tease that. All right. Teaser. So <laughs> we'll be back in just a bit to talk about that. But before we go, here he is, the man with the voice in a very dark room, giving us an honest movie review. Welcome into another honest movie review. Today we go back to 2016 for the comedy fantasy reboot of Ghostbusters, starring Melissa McCarthy. We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. Now there's sightings all over the city. There are people out there that need our help. Get out of my friend, Ghost! Ow, that's gonna leave a mark. The I saw this movie on an airplane and still walked out. I can't wait to speak with you again next week. Everyone on set, shut up. Shut up. These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review segment one. Action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it, so you're the first to hear about it. And this week's latest release is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's the return of archaeologist Indiana Jones, who races against time to retrieve a legendary dial that can change the course of history. Accompanied by his goddaughter, he soon finds himself squaring off against a former Nazi who works for NASA. Let's see what Dave and Ryan think about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, now playing nationwide. We went and saw this movie on Thursday, and I'll tell you what. This movie, to me had everything, with the exception of a couple things, and we'll talk about those in just a moment, that an Indiana Jones movie should have. It had laughs, it had adventure, it had history, it had a lot of fun, and I loved this movie. This was a great film. I, I really enjoyed having and had fun with this one. I don't know how you felt about it, but... Oh, no, th this was a great Indiana Jones movie. It, like you said, it had almost everything an Indiana Jones movie needs. It's got adventure. There's uh, There wasn't necessarily a love interest in this one, as there usually is. That's uh, the one thing that they, I thought that They it changed the love interest to a more of a goddaughter situation. So um, besides that, other than, uh, you know, a boulder coming, chasing everybody, it was a really, really good movie. All right, so let's get into this, because the first 25 minutes of this movie are are gonna throw you it had me confused yeah and, and they made a big deal to let people know that they had some age degression on harrison ford for the first about 20 25 minutes of the film and we figured it probably takes place around 
the end of World War II, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, in the movie, um, they said that the Fuhrer was in hiding, so it was right around the end. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of things that go on that kind of clue you to that. And in this, in that scene, you learn, you meet um, Mac, who is a new character yep. to Indiana Jones. And it's one of those things, he's one of those characters that I felt like that was one of the things that that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was missing. They were missing that Denholm Elliott character. Yeah. They were they were missing, you know, they were missing Marcus Brody. They really were yeah. in, in that. And I think and, that was and, one of the things. And this one, you know, they established a backstory to tell this story, which which was good and it worked. You know, when I saw Harrison Ford's DH, I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Right. And and Mac is played by Toby Jones and I I yep. love that actor. Oh, he's, yeah. he's he's great. But also in the the first few minutes of the movie you meet uh, Mad Mickelson's character. And uh, I'll tell you what, he is a pretty good Indiana Jones villain. Oh, yes, yes. Very good, and, and it carries on. And and so it all kind of goes around the Dial of Destiny, which is a device that allows you to travel through time. Yeah, uh, I thought that was going to be kind of um, like a weird type of whole movie uh situation for indiana jones you know time travel you know it's not that we've you know already had a time traveling movie earlier this year <coughs> flash uh, but uh you know it worked it, it worked. worked there was a lot of history behind it so it you know the math made sense that's what i was going to say it, it explained it and you know so it made you believe that it is possible and with what Ryan just said, that's a pretty big hint to what goes on in the movie. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, he gets away from uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character and he escapes. And then the next thing you know, we do a time jump and it's like probably, what did we figure, 1969, 1970? Yeah, right around, it was right around uh, the Apollo 11 celebration. And he is, uh, you know, he's, he's waking up in an apartment in New York City alone. He gets ready. He goes to work for what is his final day yep. at Hunter College, and he retires. And during his, you could kind of see, and I, I, it made me think back to a line in uh, in Last Crusade when they were talking about his dad, and he told Marcus, yeah, dad was always the professor that kids hope they didn't get. <laughs> and he has turned into that. Yeah, yeah. The, his students in this one... We're just definitely not having any of it. There, there is one that kind of stands out, and he leaves, goes to a bar. She follows him there, and come to find out, it is Mac or Toby Jones' daughter, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Wombat. He Wombat calls her through the whole movie. Her name is Helena, but her nickname is Wombat. And she, you, you come to find out that she is his goddaughter. And Ryan and I kind of agreed with that character at the first of the movie. We did not really care for her at all. No, did not. But that was it was supposed to happen like that. Yes, it was because it was building a story. Yep. Good storytelling. And, and we get it. That's right. So uh, she's looking for this for all the wrong reasons because she is turned into exactly what Indy despises. Everything he finds should go into a museum and she just wants to sell it and get money. Yeah, she's out of it. all about the money. So. A lot of craziness ensues. Um, Mads Mikkelsen shows up. He's got a couple of henchmen with him that you hate through the whole movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Throughout the whole movie, you're just like, I can't wait for these characters to die. And, and there was one eerie part in the movie because they did that a lot after World War II is when the, 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 the government brought Nazi scientists in to get them to the moon. Yes. And so that's what he was. And so it kind of it kind of goes and spirals from there. It, it, it takes you all over the world, just like an Indiana Jones adventure should. We go to Tangiers. We go to Sicily. We go to Greece. We, we go all over the world. And it just it's a great, fun story. Um, one of the most poignant moments in the whole movie is um, you find out what has happened to Mutt. Yeah, I don't want to say too much and give yes. too much away. You, you know, he, you know, he was played by Shia LaBeouf. Ah, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like the Crystal Skull. I am one of those who don't like it. And this was kind of like, uh, you know, they just kind of like 
jumped over that situation and kind of put a Band-Aid on it with what happened. Yeah, and, and so you kind of find that out. Um, another great character that shows up that you've seen in all of the movies, Sala is there. Yeah. Sala is amazing, as always. Um, Antonio Banderas is in this movie. It is just full of people, and it's a fun, fun time in the movie theater. I love this movie, and it, yeah. it, it takes you back to Indiana Jones, where I think some of the other movies that are based in nostalgia and are looking for that fall short. This movie didn't for me. I don't know how you felt about it. This was definitely a good ending to the story for Harrison Ford. Um, I know there was there's rumors of continuing the story with um, uh, Wombat, but... You know, if if it does, you know, that's fine. You know, it's not going to be Indiana Jones, obviously, because he won't be in it. But uh, it'll be just continuing the story with a different person, which, in my opinion, is fine. And and there is a moment in this movie towards the end where you think that it is going to wrap up just perfectly for Indiana Jones, because that (laughs) is exactly what he would want to do. But that, that I don't want to give too much away. There are so many spoilers in this movie, but it is it was just a lot of fun. Get out to the theaters and, and go see this movie. And we talked about the fact that this is the last time Harrison Ford has even said, this is the last time I will be Indiana Jones on the big screen. So get out and enjoy this yeah, one. Go see a- it. As you talked about it, the acting in this movie is fabulous, but it's Harrison Ford. How could yeah, it not be? Yeah, Harrison Ford is a great actor. And Mads Mikkelsen is another one of my favorite oh, yeah. actors. Um, I loved him in... I, my wife got me to start watching Hannibal, and we watched all of those. <laughs> he was so fabulous in that, and that's a TV series, and he was great in that. But ever since then, I mean, he was in Rogue One. He was yeah. great in that. So you're going to see a lot of people that you know, meet a lot of people that you don't know. Lots of great characters, returning characters in this one. I gave this movie four and a half buckets of popcorn. And I gave it four. And I don't think that I will see a movie better than this all summer long. I'm just putting that out there. Probably not. It was it was just a great adventure. And and that's what movies are supposed to be like. You know, that's the great thing about these movies. We talk all the time about suspending belief and, and getting out and going into the theater and just forgetting about what's going to happen for the next, what was it, two hours and 45 minutes. It's a long yeah. one. You know, this is definitely a movie uh, geared toward the older older generation, people about our age. But, uh, you know, for the younger crowd that, you know, love the Indiana Jones movies, they're going to love this movie, too, because, it, like as I said earlier, it's a great wrap-up. It is a great family movie, too. I don't oh, yeah. recall seeing anything in there that was even the least bit questionable. It's Fourth of July weekend. we got to revisit and talk about the 1996, should we say it's a classic? Um, it's getting there. I wouldn't say it's in the classic era. You know, the younger generation will be like, oh, you're old, but you know. All right. So we're going to be talking about the movie Independence Day when we come back. Hey, idiots. We're back from commercial. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment two, and action. Fourth of July weekend. Barbecues, fireworks, parades, red, white, and blue everything, alien invasions. Obviously, I'm talking about the 1996 blockbuster film Independence Day, starring Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, and Bill Pullman. Many moons ago, before Will Smith was slapping other comedians on national TV, or Randy Quaid was flying over the cuckoo's nest, the two joined forces in a groundbreaking movie called Independence Day. Setting the stage for genius Hollywood marketing, Independence Day was a huge box office success. It brought in $817 million against a $75 million budget. In fact, Independence Day became the highest grossing film of 1996, and at the time, the second highest grossing film ever behind only Jurassic Park. And while it may have spawned the ridiculous sequel nearly 20 years later, Independence Day became the first of its kind and is still revered to this day. Let's take a stroll back to 1996 and revisit Independence Day with Dave and Ryan. Okay, so this movie, we decided to do this since it's 4th of July weekend, and we kind of decided to revisit this one because this movie was actually better than I thought it was. Can you buy that? 
I'm not buying it at all, Dave. <laughs> it was actually better than I thought it was. Of course, uh, we've, we're talking about Independence Day. Will Smith, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Mary McDonald, Judd Hirsch, Randy Quaid, Vivica A. Fox, and Robert Loggia in this thing. I don't know how they could have shoved one more person in this movie. This was a, the beginning, I think, of a bunch of big summer blockbusters that were based in sci-fi. Uh, when this movie came out, uh, Roland Emmerich kind of overshot on this one, and uh, when he he directed it, he and uh, I believe the name the gentleman's name was Dean Devlin wrote the script for it, and uh, unbelievable, lots of big action sequences, lots of big visual effects. We'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, parts of this were actually filmed in Utah. Oh yes. Uh, the Wendover Air Base, a lot of it was filmed there, uh, as well as New Mexico, New York. Washington, D.C., Arizona, and California. Who can forget? I just get chills. The, the big scene with the White House. Oh, yeah. That was unbelievable when they did that. Opening weekend, $50.2 million on, get this, it only had a $75 million budget. We say only. Yeah. Like today's movies are like 150 this, or 200 You got to remember, million. this is back in 1996. That's that true. was a lot of money. It was a lot of money back then. Uh, actually nominated for two Academy Awards. Okay, it won for Best Visual Effects, and I believe it lost out to The English Patient for Best Sound. Mm. So it is an Academy Award winner. To this day, 68% critic score, 75% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So good film, lots of fun, lots of great things. So let's, let's get into it. It all starts with, I believe it starts on July 2nd, and when this movie first premiered, they actually premiered it on July 2nd for that reason. Yes. Uh, and Will Smith is, I believe, an Air Force pilot that wants to be in the space program. And, uh, well, it comes knocking on July 2nd. Oh, yeah. Literally, as he opens the door, giant spaceship right out in the front yard. That was, that was, I think Vivica A. Fox actually plays his girlfriend in it. Yeah. And he goes, I don't understand what your problem is. And she opens the curtains and she goes, that's my problem. <laughs> So he, but he's got to go to work, man. Yeah. He's got to go to work. Well, when he gets to work, he finds out he has been shot down for the space program once again. Mm -hmm. But they they find out about this threat, and it's it's really I like the fact the alien in this is really something different. Yeah, than we've ever we had ever seen up to this point in an alien movie. I don't know if you felt that way or if it gave you those kind of vibes. Well, you really didn't see the alien until about halfway through the 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 movie. That, well, that's that's very true as well. And of course, you know, the what's the first thing that we as Americans do? We decide we're going to shoot at it. Well, there was that and then there was also a lot of people in the movie who, you know, they went to uh, the building right underneath the spaceship, to, you know, to greet them. You know, we yeah. come in peace, aliens, that, that we love you. That didn't turn out too well for them either. No, it didn't. That not. was the Empire State Building, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that was, once again, another great visual effects shot. But the one that always sticks in my mind is them blowing up the White House. Yeah, which is which is really funny because uh, this movie had a lot of practical effects and cgi this now you got to remember this is 1996 this was kind of the pioneering days of cgi most cgi looked cartoonish um but in this movie they seem to narrow it down and just squeeze that lemonade just right well and that's what was cool in in speaking to that uh the white house was obviously a miniature yes and they they put some money into that one just to blow it up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the the Empire State Building. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, what what comes about the whole thing? You get Jeff Goldblum in there, and he is, I believe, is he the first lady's ex husband? Yes. Yes. And he's a and he's, he's a, a scientist. scientist. So he he gets it all figured out. What's going on with these things? He goes, they're just talking from one other to another, and so. What we what do we got to do? How do we take down a, a computer network? They gave it a cold. We give it a cold. We give it a virus. Um, and of course, uh, Judge Her Judd Hirsch is in this. He plays Jeff Goldblum's dad. Yes. Um, actually, really funny Perfect casting. Perfect. Um, and and you know, Randy Quaid has probably a pretty special part to this too. I don't think he was acting. I think uh, he was, uh, that was just him. It could have been, but. You know, he, he was a pilot in, um, I, I think he said he was a pilot in Vietnam. Yeah. He flew crop dusters and things like that. 
and he knew that his country needed him and his kids were just beside themselves because the guy had never really done anything in his life. Yeah, well, he he claimed that he had been abducted by that's true too. I forgot about many that. years before. <laughs> I forgot about that. that part. That's you know his famous line in the movie is "I'm back." I'm back. That's true. So yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Um, a lot of this takes place. This was one of like maybe one of the first movies that really acknowledged that there is such a thing. I mean, I realize it's a movie, but it, it acknowledged Area Fifty One. Uh, you know, besides the old, you know, 1960s, right, right. Horror, you know, teeny bopper horror movies, uh-huh. um, I believe, I believe so. And, and so they, the, a lot of it is based out of there. Uh, just so much goes on in this movie. But anyway, uh, Jeff Goldblum ends up having to go to the spaceship with Will Smith because nobody else can. Yeah. And they don't believe either one of them could do it. <laughs> no. And then you come to find out the way they get there is that they actually have one of their ships at Area 51 that they've been sitting on. Yeah, that they didn't know how, how it worked. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, that's what they said. And then the day that these the mothership shows up, yeah. this thing comes to yeah, life. All the lights start turning on, and then they uh, basically you know kick the uh, blocks out from underneath it. Oh, and it's hovering. It still takes off. And then they don't think the shields or anything work, and then until uh, Will Smith starts shooting a can and... Only slow-moving moving objects can penetrate their shields. So they, they decide they're going to take this. They've got to fly to the mothership. They've got to upload the virus. And then it should disable everything, and you should be able to take take them down, to do your thing, yep. do your stuff. What yeah. is, isn't that what Jeff Goldblum says? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could do, you know, do, do your thing, yeah. But, you know, one of the best parts of that movie is uh, Bill Pullman's speech at the very end. Yes, when they get ready to take off. It, it's actually, it's one of those things, and I actually had to look up because I was like, this movie it did, and, and it did a tremendous amount of money, and, I, and I'll let you read the, the, the quote that you've got there, but I was looking up in the world and as far as what was going on, as far as, you know, disturbances or, you know, skirmishes or anything like that, and the only thing that I could find up is later that summer, they, they started one of the first waves of, I believe it was Desert Aware or Desert something. It wasn't Desert Storm, but they, they went back into, as a country, we went back in there. But I was trying to look for something that would maybe, you know, rally the country behind this and want to go see this movie. But it was just a fun movie. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah this is this is a great clip there. You know, Bill uh, Pullman's uh, character, President Thomas, um, gave the speech right there. You know, everyone's kind of nervous. You know, they're going to attack this giant ship that they have no idea if it's going to work or not. And he gets up there and, and um, part just the ending part goes, uh, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. When you watch that, it gives you goosebumps. It does. It does. And the other thing that helps is the fact that um, his character was a fighter pilot, and he hops in a plane and goes out and helps him too. Yes. <laughs> so, and then the whole time he's with his daughter, but his wife is missing. They find his wife, the first lady, uh, played by Mary McDonnell, and she's not doing too well. But no. uh, you know, it just it all comes out in the wash. Everything works out, and they save the day i guess and and jeff goldblum and will smith get to do their victory dance yep <laughs> <laughs> that, that we talked about this movie that was probably one of my favorite lines when they're getting ready to take off and he's like oh wait a minute and he goes back and he goes and grabs a cigar uh, and he said two cigars about blew the whole thing and he goes this is our victory dance <laughs> we smoke these when we've won and so Great movie. Like I said, it's it's a good. It's it's worth rewatching. I would say. Oh, definitely. I don't know how you feel. I would definitely go rewatch it. In fact, I we were we watched it yesterday. See, <laughs> and it, and was it as good as you thought as it was back then? Uh, the special effects, you know, they're definitely dated, but the story overall was good. Well, I would say that that's the one thing too about practical effects is they still hold up. Yeah, they hold up. They 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 don't look like cheap, cheesy. CGI effects. Nope. Flash. <laughs> Gummy bears. <laughs> but yeah, go see this one again. It's it's worth a great it's it's worth a rewatch. It really is. Independence Day 1996. Will Smith, 
Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum. Go check that one out and have a happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Most definitely. Be safe out there this weekend. All right. When we come back, it's time to throw down over. This is one of our favorite segments that we've done in the past. Too many sequels. Sometimes, you know, there are movies out there that just don't deserve what they got. And um, we've got a couple of them that we're going to talk about here coming up in just a moment. So stick around. All right, imbeciles. Everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action. Don't stop me if you've heard this before. An original movie comes out, and it does very well financially and critically. Studio executives become excited, and they immediately want to nope that cow. But instead of producing more milk, they produce cow crap. And while Dave and Ryan have nothing better to do than watch movies, apparently they have no time for... Too Many Sequels. This has been one of my favorite segments ever since we came up with it. And so we've done it twice now. This will be the second time. And um, it's all about movies that maybe didn't deserve an extra movie. Didn't deserve, didn't need, shouldn't have had. Why did they do it? Anything you want to complain about. Yeah, whatever you want to call this, it kind of would fit in there. And, And for me, I actually had to go to battle for this one because the movie series is only two movies <laughs> yeah but the second one was so god-awful pathetic that it didn't deserve to be made and of course that movie that i'm talking about is caddyshack 2 you want to buy a bushwood from me that's right that's right well let me ask you this do i own it i checked it out you own 53 percent of the stock as i said this was one sequel too many it didn't yes. deserve a second sequel uh, it sounded kind of basically the same story, but this time you've got uh, Jack Hartunian, who was played by Jackie Mason, has his application to the Bushwood Country Club rejected because he's a working man, he owns his own construction company, and they don't think he's necessarily Bushwood material. Well, in the beginning of the movie, he almost ran over his wife with a steamroller. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It was a bulldozer. <laughs> no, it was a steamroller. Yeah, that was... That was <laughs> Okay, that might be the only funny part of this movie. Um, So he gets fed up and he talks to Ty Webb, Chevy Chase. Now, Chevy Chase was the only original cast member to return for this. That should tell you something. Yeah. Uh, He's the only one that came back uh, into selling him his shares, which makes him the owner, makes uh, Hartoonian the owner. Uh, And then he turns the club basically into an amusement park, uh, making members of the club and the audience miserable. Okay. Yes. This movie also stars Robert Stack, Diane Cannon, uh, Dan Aykroyd, Randy Quaid, and uh, Jonathan Silverman is in this. As you just said, he's been in a lot yeah, he's of been 80s in a lot movies. Of uh, here, here's the rundown of Caddyshack 2. It was written by Brian Doyle Murray, who is Bill Murray's brother. He was in the original. He actually wrote the original as well, along with Harold Ramis. Now, Rodney Dangerfield did help with the script... But he got into an argument with Warner Brothers before the movie went to film, and he walked away from the project completely. Good call. <laughs> he, he knew what was going on. Uh, Harold Ramis did an interview back in 1999, and he said the studio kind of begged him that they wanted this movie. And he just says, you know what? Just, just let it die. Let the movie die, please. And then when Rodney kind of walked away from the movie... They told him, okay, come with us because we're going to go meet Jackie Mason. We want to talk to him about this. And he goes, no. He goes, let the movie go. And if this is the the, the direction you're going to go in, um, please take my name off of this movie. Okay. As I said, Rodney got into an argument with Warner Brothers. He backed out of it. Um, him and Harold Ramis went on to still make Back to School. Yeah. Uh, this movie, actually, the original Caddyshack came out in 1980. This one, I think, came out in... 86, maybe? 88? Uh, 88. Right around there, yeah. It came out in 88. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this is just a horrible movie. <laughs> and if you want to watch something that's a little bit of a cool side note to this, and Ryan turned me on to this movie, it's called A Feudal and Poetic Gesture, and it is on Netflix. And it kind of yep. gives you the story 
of Doug Kinney, who wrote Animal House and he wrote the original Caddyshack. But it kind of starts and tells you how he got along with all, you know, with uh, Harold Ramis and uh, Chevy Chase was one of his closest yeah, it, friends. It, 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 it kind of uh, how everyone, all of them, got together because um, uh, he was the creator of National Lampoons. Yes, and and so it goes into that little bit of a of a backstory. Gives you that goes through the the making of the original Caddyshack and how he hated the final product. I thought one of the funniest moments in the the Netflix show was at his funeral, and Martin Mull plays an older him. Yeah. Plays an older Doug Kinney. And uh, what the heck is his name? Will Forte. Yeah. Plays Doug Kinney. And he is there at his funeral seeing who showed up and how it's going and everything like that. And Martin Mull comes up to him and looks at him and he goes, you know, after a while, people really started to like Caddyshack. Annoyingly so. <laughs> because they he thought that it was going to be a terrible, terrible movie. He hated yeah. everything about it. Uh, no, that was actually a really good movie. Caddyshack 2 was a terrible, terrible movie. Another thing that I read, if you've seen the movie, uh, Randy Quaid kind of plays Hartoonian's lawyer that is like caffeined up and over the top. Yeah, well, towards, you know, the turning point in the movie, he kind of turns into his little minion. Uh Uh-huh. And the thing about it is if Rodney Dangerfield would have stayed in this movie, that character was going to be played by Sam Kinison. Who hmm. and him and Rodney were very tight, and when Rodney backed out of the movie, Sam walked away from it as well. And everybody should have walked away from this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, as I told you, it is still listed on as number twenty of the worst sequels of all time. Only number twenty. Only number twenty. I know it's very hard to believe, but there's been a lot of eggs that have come out between now and then. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's. <sighs> I don't. I can't even think of a redeeming quality of this movie. The Gopher was back. The Gopher was back. Dan Aykroyd was a serviceable character. I didn't like his character in the movie. I think it was he was you know still kind of finding his acting legs. You know Chevy Chase tried to bring Ty from Caddyshack into this one. It just didn't work. It was just not a really good film. Yeah, his his character kind of just. Phoned everything in. You, know, you you could feel that. You could feel that. One of my, if, if I can pick out one favorite scene from this movie, is when Jackie Mason does come to talk to him about buying him out of the club, and he's playing golf in the house. <laughs> yes. And he gets in the. They get in the golf cart after his first shot. He gets in the golf cart and they're driving around the house in the golf cart. Other than that, I really can't think of anything in this movie that's funny. Yeah, well, that uh, playing golf in the house, that was kind of a, an homage to the first movie when he was with Bill Murray's character playing through his little uh, greenery area. Yes, and, and the cool thing about, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into a thing about Caddyshack, but the great thing about that whole movie was, especially that scene in particular, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase hated each other. Oh, yeah. During that scene and during the whole filming of that movie, they hated each other. But for them to come together, maybe they needed to bring him back for this one and, and maybe they could have caught it, caught lightning in a bottle again. Um, once again, they went back to the Kenny Loggins Well, Nobody's Fool yeah. was the theme song from uh, Caddyshack 2. But I cannot recommend this movie. I just can't. And it's mostly, most of it's because I'm not a really big fan of Jackie Mason. I never really have been. What else has he been in? He's I just a stand-up really... comedian. Okay. And I've never really been a fan of him. But yet, I guess at the end of the day, I just say, don't go see this film. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's, you know, unless you absolutely have nothing, nothing to do, don't see this movie. Don't do it. All right, Ryan, it's your turn. All right, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I chose for too many sequels... Star Wars. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. We need to set some parameters. There are no parameters. No, no, because we did have parameters when you were talking about this. You're not speaking. I'm not speaking of the prequels. Right. You're not talking about episode one, two, or three. 
These are sequels from the original trilogy. That was episode four, five, and six. So we're talking about eight, nine, uh, seven, eight, and nine. Not no mo- no standalone movies, no TV shows, just the sequels. All right, so go for it. Let's let's hear about this. This we've actually talked about this like two or three times uh, this we, week. This yeah, ever since I told uh, everyone what I was doing. Everyone has came and given me their opinion about it. And I mean everyone. You have. Jordan, our uh, producer, has. Everybody's come in and told me how wrong I am. That's because everybody has an opinion when it comes to Star Wars. And that's fine. You can have your opinion. I'm just going to lay out some things you might not have thought about. You know, when I was talking with Jordan... There was things he didn't think think about or notice. So um, one of the biggest things for me was there there was no big bad guy. There was no villain that posed a really big threat. Yes, there was Kylo Ren, there was General Hux, and there was Snook. But General Hux was not respected at all by his fellow generals, by Kylo. There was an, a Yo Mama joke in episode eight at the very beginning of the movie it was funny but it still serves as nobody had any respect or fear for his character the second character that really was just a throwaway character was supreme leader snook uh snook i'm probably slaughtering that but in the in the episode seven he was you know he came in as this big hologram he's looked like he was this all-powerful menacing bad guy you know he's the new emperor basically but he doesn't do anything he dies in the next movie midway through a monologue by kylo ren who was doing an obvious uh, lightsaber trick you know oh i'll put my hand out here and pull the lightsaber away and give it to ren oh and we'll kill everybody so he he was a throwaway character. You find out he was a clone at the very end. You know, if I'm giving spoilers away, these movies are old, so I don't care. Spoilers beware. But he turns out to be a clone. You know, at, at the last movie, you see all these, like, deformed snooks. And he was a throwaway character. He really didn't bring anything to the movie. And the last character is Kylo Ren, is a perfect example when a spoiled rich kid doesn't get his way. He constantly loses his temper to um, whines, which causes all of his plans to fall apart. A great example of that is in the second movie uh, when they're on the, uh, the salt planet. And he, you know, they, they have them in the base. All they needed to do was open fire. But no, he has to go down and fight. Luke Skywalker, which turned out to be a, uh, not him, a projection of him. He's just a whiny little, you know, beep word. You know, that's what he is. He's Luke from (laughs) Star Wars. (laughs) Luke from Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about Luke's character. You know, he's he's also a little whiny brat in that movie. No, I don't want to go. I'm going to milk this thing for the blue milk and drink it right in front of you. That was just horrifying <laughs> you know the thing that made it more horrifying though is the fact that it was it was stuck in his beard oh I yeah that, i think that made it the worst <laughs> yeah yeah but then you know another one thing about the these uh sequels there was no plan there was no overall plan um in the original trilogy you know the plan was to just dis- you know destroy the uh empire this one you know they you know the um uh, the first order wasn't ruling over everything. There was, you know, they still had the Senate. Uh, this was just kind of like a, a f- you know, like a like an army on a certain planet that was just kind of annoying everybody. That was basically what the first order was. Yes, they had a big army, you know, because they were kidnapping people for years. But still, there, you know, there was really no plan to these movies you know even jj abrams uh in an interview back in 2021 uh he did an interview with uh collider uh he was asked about the recent star wars trilogy and the question was uh would the three movies have been benefited from a concrete narrative plan set from the beginning and he says uh i feel like what i've learned uh, as a lesson a few times now is that something that especially in this pandemic year working with writers has become clear 
The lesson is that you have to plan things as best as you can. You always need to be able to respond to the unexpected. And that was the director. He he directed the first one, and then he stepped away, and then Ryan Johnson directed the second one, and then after he left because of creative differences, J.J. came back for the last one. And there was no plan. Even he said he felt like the movies were trying to one-up each other. And that's not good storytelling. That's just horrible planning. And overall, I don't know a lot of people who really enjoyed the pre, uh, the sequels. I'm sure there are people out there, especially the younger generations, because um, this would be their Star Wars. Uh, but overall, uh, I feel like uh, the older crowd didn't really get it. You know, in the last one when all the ships showed up and uh, Lana goes, you're not alone, Poe, you know. That, you know, that gave me goosebumps. That was a great moment. Yeah, you saw all the ships, uh, the Millennium Falcons, you saw X-Wings, you know, Wedge Antilles was there. All these people showed up. But that's one moment out of three movies. one moment. And it lasts, it was probably about a 30-second scene. Yeah, and and to go back to what you were talking about, because we talked, we've been talking about these all week. Yes. And I decided, you know what, I need to revisit. So I went back last night and I watched episode seven, and- uh, the first three things you talked about in this thing hit the nail right on the head. Hux is a laughable character. Uh, I, I equated him and Kylo Ren to like two brothers that are trying to get each other into trouble all the time. Yeah. Uh, Kylo Ren is is not respected at all in this movie. Like you thought, you know what? He is Darth Vader's grandson. Yeah, and he's always trying to live up to and, that, and, and he's never all, doing. And it. he never does, and so. Um, but he is never taken seriously. I said one of my favorite move parts of the fr- of number seven was when Ray escapes <laughs> and he oh, goes yeah. in there and sees that she's gone and he just and he throws one of his through. his Ren fits and he's beating the crap out of all the equipment and everything in there and you, it pans outside and you see these two stormtroopers turn the corner and the one actually stops the other one and they hear what's going on. And they turn around and go back the way they came from. It's funny, but it doesn't give it, the character any sort of respect or fear. Right. There's not that fear level there in, in yeah. Kylo with, Ren. With Darth Vader in the the original trilogy with uh, episode four, A New Hope, uh, you know, you see him uh, when he uh, boards uh, Princess Leia's ship to find the plans. And he's choking a guy. He's got, lifting the guy off of his feet. He's got him like six feet up in the air, just choking him, snaps his neck. That establishes that he's no one to mess with. That's right. He's dangerous. And, and Ren then, never has that moment. Yeah, never. And then, you know, uh, he kills... Um, obi-wan kenobi and then in the other next movie uh he 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 stops uh han solo's blasters with his hand and then he cuts off luke's hand that's how menacing and resourceful he is you know <laughs> he stops it with his hand and then in the last movie uh return of the jedi you know uh he captures luke again well, well luke gave up and he's trying to bring him to the dark side and you know he ends up you know helping his uh son by throwing the emperor but um you know he's he's a bad character he blew up a planet for gosh sake yep <laughs> yep they do that in this in in seven as well um yeah i, I just uh, and, then, and let's not forget rogue one the final scene rogue there one is where he's walking down the hallway just slaughtering everywhere that really brings out how how deadly he is because before that there wasn't really any big big battle live action battle scene you know you had the uh the animations that they show him you know being all you know menacing and bad but nothing in real life really and you know in the uh the obi-wan series this last that came out just a while ago he was he was awesome in that one too he when was. he's dragging yeah. obi-wan through the fire yeah that's, and in fact we talked about the fact that that's even painful to watch yeah but, you know, people forget, too. Yes, Rogue One, probably my favorite offshoot movie of the Star Wars. Oh, great, my, my great too, movie. Definitely. Um, and I remember having uh, hearing Kevin Smith talk about Rogue One, and he says, at the end of Rogue One, you will find out why so many people fear Darth Vader. Yes, and there's no one like that in the new trilogy. No, there's not, except, you know, 
And I thought about that. And I was like, yeah, that was that was a pretty brutal part to that movie. But did we forget all the younglings that he killed? Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Seven to me was probably the best of the bunch. Um, nine was just trying to fix up Rain Johnson's mistakes from from eight. So it was kind of retcon in that movie. But, you know, the thing about a sequel is, and, and this is what we kind of based it on, and we based Caddyshack on that as well, everybody's story is tied up. Yeah. Everybody's story at the end of Return of the Jedi was tied up. There were more stories to be told in a different part. Honestly, I believe if they would have gone in a different direction and continued the Luke story, that would have been fine. You know... Uh, he established his temple. You know, you saw that in the, the Mandalorian. Um, I know in, in episode seven, you know, Kyle talks about how um, he formed the Knights of Ren and they basically destroyed the temple. But I honestly, I think they just kind of went off in a different direction and, you know, they were trying to make a cash cow. You know, Star Wars, oh, we got to, we need new characters to create new toys. And the other thing, too, that we need to talk about is uh, they're not done. They've got three more in the planning stages. And to me, uh, the first one that's going to be coming out, directed by James Mangold, who directed Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. He also directed Logan. uh, Deals with the beginnings of the Force and people finding out about the Force and learning what it's about. That sounds interesting to me. Yeah, the, that story. I, I wouldn't say that uh, though those movies coming out would be necessary prequels. They're there's their own story because it it takes place many 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 years before, before. all of this. Yes, and then um, so if if you're a fan of like the old Republic series, these movies will be you'll right up your alley. And then you're gonna get a movie from Dave Filoni, uh, who has been one of the big executive producers on The Mandalorian, that kind of wraps up the Mandalorian story. So that one could be interesting. But then the one that they're pushing the hardest is is Ray's story. And this will take place after episode nine, obviously. And it deals with her starting a new Jedi order. Yay. I'm just telling you, it's out there. We got that to look forward to. (laughs) All right. Once again, it's been a lot of fun this week. Go see some movies, go out there, get out, have a good time. And until then, you know what? We're going to wrap it up. Have a safe 4th of July weekend. Enjoy your holiday and uh, be careful. And we'll talk to you again next week. And that brings us to the end of this week's journey. But don't worry, Dave and Ryan have more movies to watch and more opinions to spew next week. Dave and Ryan will dissect The Sound of Freedom, a new action drama film opening up on July 4th. And we've all heard about the writer's strike. But what happens if the actors strike? You can relive and download today's episode at CastleCountryRadio.com. We'll see you next week on Dave and Ryan's Movie Review. That's it. That's a wrap. See you next week.